0: Today's episode is brought to you by Studio Sweden. If you're looking for quality headphones that are not ridiculously expensive, look no further. Please stay tuned for more information for our exclusive promo code. You are now tuned in to the Asian Madness Podcast. A podcast where we discuss all things true crime, mysterious, morbid, and odd from the other side of the world. I'm your host, Jessica. Please sit back, relax, and let's dive into this week's topic. Hey guys, as usual before I begin, I want to play a promo from Murderous Miners Killer Kids with your host, Simone.
1: This is Murderous Miners Killer Kids, bringing you the frightening and truly insane tales of children with the thirst to kill. Kindergarten through 12th grade murderers. True stories thoroughly researched. Join us weekly for new tales of parents' worst nightmares on Murderous Miners Killer Kids.
0: this podcast is very well researched and very well presented. You never expect murderers to be children, but it happens. And now we will begin this week's episode. Thailand, officially known as the Kingdom of Thailand and once known as Siam, is a country located in Southeast Asia, bordering Myanmar and Laos to the north, Cambodia to the east, And Malaysia to the south. The capital of Thailand is Bangkok, and Thailand's population as of recent is around 69 million. The official language in Thailand is Thai, and the main religion is Buddhism. Like many other Southeast Asian countries I've mentioned in previous episodes, Thailand is also very ethnically diverse, consisting of about 70 different ethnic groups spread around the 76 provinces. Although the majority of Thailand consists of Thai nationals, ethnically, a lot of them were descendants from Chinese people that migrated south to Thailand more than 10 centuries ago. There is still a large population of Thai Chinese people, but all Chinese surnames have been eliminated in the 1920s by royal decree. There's still an estimated 14% of the population that are Thai Chinese. Over the years, many different ethnic groups have undergone intermixing, so it's very difficult to find anyone belonging to one single ethnic group. They could be Chinese, Malay, Indian, and others. Looking at Thailand's history, it is known that humans have been living in present-day Thailand since 20,000 years ago and have been growing rice since 2000-3000 to 3000 BCE. A lot of Thailand's current neighbors participated in Thailand's ancient history. What we know as Thailand now was once under the rule of the Khmer, an empire from present-day Cambodia. Then around the 14th century, local Thai states united and formed their own kingdom. After a brief era known as the Sukhothai Kingdom, the Kingdom of Ayutthaya overtook Thailand in the 14th century. Power came and went, and Thailand was finally stabilized and doing very well under the reign of King Rama I, then Rama II, then, well, Rama III. Of course, Thailand also had contact with the Western world right around the 15th and 16th century. The first to get in touch were the Portuguese, then the Dutch, then the English, then the French. There was a time from the late 17th century where Thailand reduced contact with the Western world, And that way of life remained till the 19th century, when King Rama IV came into power. And you thought we were done with the Rama line. So this was when Thailand began to trade and interact closely with Western countries once again. King Rama IV, aka King Mongkut, to the Western world, introduced Western education and welcomed social changes without abandoning the traditions. FYI, you know the film, The King and I? Yeah, the king they refer to in that movie is Rama IV. 20th century-wise, Thailand participated in World War I, and not very surprisingly, they were invaded by Japan during World War II. There's a lot of ups and downs in modern Thailand history, so let's just say Thailand has continued to grow and flourish since the late 20th century- In case you did not know, Thailand is one of the best spots for beach vacations, floating markets, amazing food, Buddhist experiences, nightlife, and spas. In case you also did not know, Thailand has some of the best horror movies I have ever seen. Remember that movie called Shudder? Yeah, that original movie was actually from Thailand. Please watch it. I have never been to Thailand yet. But trust me, it's on the list. One more piece of info. Thailand was once known as Siam, as I've mentioned earlier, and that exonym might have come from the Sanskrit word of Sayama, which means dark or brown. I'm pretty sure many of you are probably pretty familiar with Thailand, at least the amazing aspects of it. Yes, I'm looking at you, Cambo and Adam. But today we are here to discuss murder. Aside from the fact that murder is horrible in of itself, it is also said that the series of murder gave birth to one of the boogeyman tales in Thailand. This is the case of a man named Si Wee, a man who was known to kidnap, murder, and eat children. So pretty much the real live boogeyman there. Yes, there will be some graphic details in this episode, so if this isn't something you would like to hear, please skip this episode. I won't be offended. As with every case, I like to start from the very beginning. Who was this man before he became so notorious and so feared? This future boogeyman's birth name was Huang Li Hui. He was born to a poor Chinese farming family in 1927 in a place in southern China called Shantou. Note that Si Wei was his identity in Thailand, so before that, we will refer to him by his Chinese name. Unfortunately, very little is known about his childhood, but there are some tidbits. But I have to say, take them with a grain of salt. He came from rural China, and I highly doubt people kept records of what was going on, and War was also happening around that time. It was said that he was very weak as a child, constantly sick. His mother was always trying to find ways to keep him healthy, like secret recipes and whatnot, possibly with some questionable ingredients. She managed to keep him alive, but he was very slight in size even as an adult. When he was around 18... World War II was going on and Japan was invading China big time. Huang, being male and 18 and, well, alive, he was drafted. He was fighting the Japanese in the southern Chinese island of Hainan, and it was said that it was around this time that he learned of some rather savage survival skills. There are two distinct stories regarding his time in the war that could sort of explain his later obsession with humans. Story number one. His commander-in-chief at the time was giving him and his fellow soldiers pep talks regarding the war and they were told specifically that they are to eat the livers of their enemies so that they can absorb their strength and power. Solid advice. Story number two. While fighting the Japanese, Huang and his fellow soldiers were trapped in a piece of land and were unable to fight their way out. While most of his friends were eating roots and grass to survive, he turned to eating the flesh of the fallen soldiers. I can understand his choice, I guess. It's survival. But I guess he liked it a little bit too much. Aside from these two war tales... There was also another time that Huang possibly ran into some Chinese hermit who told him that eating the intestines of children could give him power and strength. So, in the end, livers and intestines. Got it. The war was over in 1945, and Huang was struggling in China after the war. He decided to leave, and in December of 1946, he arrived in Thailand. He was trying to give his name to the Thai officials upon arrival. He kept repeating his name Huang Li Hui, but we all know language barrier exists and it's real. So it is said that Thai officials misunderstood his name and instead of Li Hui, they put his name down as Si We. Sort of similar in sound, I guess. That's when he officially became Si We. He started his new life by working menial jobs in Bangkok, then he finally found stable work as a gardener at Prachua Kiri Khan, a western province in Thailand. I cannot say what happened during those years between arriving at Thailand to when he first began his killings. It was said that he was marginalized. Maybe because he was Chinese, or maybe it was because he didn't really speak the language. Or maybe he was just giving everybody weird, creepy vibes. I will not attempt to fill in the blanks, so let's just jump ahead to when he first began his murders. Okay, before he actually murdered anybody, though, he had a failed attempt. The first attack occurred on April 10th, 1954. Si Ui had spotted... Eight year old Bangorn Pamonsut. He very savagely bit her neck and attempted to drag her into the nearby woods. Seriously, I couldn't make this crap up. This sounds like some animal planet shit the cheetah attacking its prey or something. The girl fought hard against her attacker and managed to escape. He failed this time, but he was determined to succeed. See, we struck again only a month later on May 19th. He found Nid Saipu, an 11-year-old at a nighttime wedding fair. He either lured her into the woods or, again, did some savage animalistic thing to her because the young girl was discovered the next day along the railroad tracks. She had been stabbed in the throat and she was missing her heart and either a liver or kidney brutal, disgusting, and very sad. His murders continued with a bit more time in between each killing, though. In November of 1954, he murdered his second victim, a six-year-old named Chu Sehua. This child was found with her gullet missing, and in case you did not know, the gullet is the esophagus. Yeah, I had to look that up. The third victim was a seven-year-old named Kim Hyang Se Lee, on June 22nd of the following year. Four months later, in October, he murdered 10-year-old Naegan Se Lee. Then, the murders just stopped. Police had been looking into this case, and people were definitely worried about what was going on. But clearly, nobody had leads, and see, we was still off doing his thing. Everyone sort of sighed a sigh of relief, because well, no more mutilated children were turning up. But that relief only lasted a little bit more than a year, as in February of 1957, the youngest victim yet, five-year-old Siu Chu Selim, was discovered, murdered, and mutilated, just like the previous children. Okay, before I continue talking about this boogeyman, let me tell you more about Studio Sweden. If you're a fan of music and podcasts, then obviously your choice of headphones and earbuds matter. I am always listening to podcasts, even when I'm working out in the gym. Yes, believe it or not, I actually do go to the gym. If you happen to lead a relatively active lifestyle, then Studio Sweden's Tray is perfect for you. These earbuds are made with sweat-proof material, which is obviously very important because, well... We all sweat when we work out, and the last thing you want is for them to stop working because of your yucky sweat. It also comes with those wing tips that help keep the earbuds in your ear as you're moving around. The tray has a battery life of at least 9 hours, and it provides enough sound transparency so that when you're listening to whatever you're listening to, you can also know exactly what is happening around you. I've gotten rid of a couple workout earbuds because they just don't fit right or they died on me. It gets frustrating. Right now though, you can get a pair of these from Studio Sweden with free worldwide shipping and a 15% off your purchase. Just enter the promo code ASIANMADNESS at checkout. Not only do these make great additions to your life, they also make great gifts. So go ahead and order some for your family and friends because we know how important podcasts and music can be. Remember to try and stay active, though, because I need you all to be healthy and alive. Now, back to the show. It was January 1958 in Numpra, a sub-district in Rayong District. Nawa Bunyakan was getting his family ready for dinner, but they still needed a few more vegetables. He asked his 8-year-old son, Sambun Boon, to go to the nearby local market to get some vegetables from the Chinese vendor. Sambun Boon eagerly agreed and was on his way. It was getting late and his dad was worried that he might have gotten distracted and wandered off. He decided to go look for him. He quickly sees a Chinese vendor by the name of Si Wei. He decides to ask the vendor if he has seen his boy. But as he gets closer, he realizes that Siui was burning a pile of leaves? Except it wasn't. He saw a little human leg sticking out of the pile. Nawa leapt to the burning pile and attempted to put out the fire. That's when he realized the little leg belonged to his son. Nawa and a friend attacked and subdued Si Ui till the police arrived. And that is how the boogeyman was caught. Si Ui was caught in the act of burning up the body of an 8-year-old. Clearly, he couldn't really explain that away as accident or whatever. During his questioning, he was unable to interact with Thai officials directly due to the language barrier. They did get an interpreter for Si Ui, but I can't help but wonder how accurate this kind of interrogation and confession is. According to reports, He confessed voluntarily and did not shy away from the details. He gave his reasonings for eating human organs, saying that they revitalized his body, helped him feel better, and human intestines also happened to be very tasty. Remember the two stories I mentioned earlier about his time at war? Well, if those things indeed did happen, then it's probably his introduction to eating human guts. When asked why he ate children, his reasoning was very simple, because they were easy prey. Adults might fight back, and he was not exactly the strongest man on earth, so he would probably lose the fight. Although there were rumors that some of the children's bodies were sexually abused, C we denied sexually abusing any of the children. His trial took place on March 25, 1958 and it only lasted nine days. He was not found to be mentally ill. He provided all the details of his crimes all over again and pleaded guilty. He was given a life sentence. But then the prosecuting team appealed the sentence. You see, usually there is a mandatory clemency for voluntary confessions and for pleading guilty, which is exactly what happened to Si Wee, and that's why he got the life sentence. The prosecuting team argued that even without his confessions and his pleading guilty, they still had enough proof and evidence that he was the child cannibal. Basically, if he pleaded not guilty, they still could have convicted him. The court heard this argument and they were convinced, so they took back the life sentence and gave him the death sentence. He was in prison in Bangkwang Prison, basically a men's death row prison. His death order was signed the following year, and he was executed via a firing squad on September 17, 1959. He was 32 years old. There has been one theory that came out of the entire case. Real or fake, you decide. This is the scapegoat theory. The theory states that C. Wee was not guilty and that he did not do any of the things he confessed to. The reasons are as follows. Number one See, we barely spoke Thai, so who really knows what he confessed to or what he told the police? He could have been explaining his innocence the whole time, but police instead disregarded it because they saw him as the perfect or convenient suspect. Number two. Chinese people were said to be a marginalized ethnic group around that time because the prime minister was a Japanese empire sympathizer. So siding with the Japanese during the 30s to 50s basically meant that you were against the Chinese. Yeah, it's World War II stuff. So We si being a Chinese migrant could have maybe received more hostility than others. Number three. See, we barely spoke Thai and barely had money. He was weak and small. There were doubts as to how he got around the country and how he managed to stay so under the radar when committing such intense crimes. He wasn't exactly organized and he pretty much acted impulsively. So what do you think? Of course, this could be possible. But then again, it doesn't really explain why he was burning the body of an 8-year-old. A month before Si We was discovered and arrested, the police actually had a suspect in custody. By custody, I mean in prison for one year. This poor man, Sawai Pinsilpachai, was a butcher, so the police were like, well, he knows how to chop meat, so he must be the child killer. I can imagine all butchers quitting their jobs the next day. Anyway, he was in prison for a year because his family couldn't come up with the money for bail. They finally came up with the amount and was released one month before Siwi was arrested. Sawai's so family complained that he was a scapegoat all along because the police couldn't do their job and find the real killer. After Siwee was caught, police initially wanted to tie... Him, to Sawai, trying to come up with a narrative that these two were working together killing children. I mean, when I see that, I think that the police were really trying to save their asses. Instead of admitting to wrongfully imprisoning a man, they wanted to paint him as the accomplice. But of course, there was zero proof, so they had to drop this far-fetched theory. I understand wanting to close a case and catch the bad guy, but it would be a lot better if you actually got the right one. So, of course, a movie was made about the life and death of Si Wei. Duh. This was a Thai and Chinese collaboration, and the movie is called Si We. It gives a rather close look at who he was as a person. There is a strong emphasis on his life during the war, possibly trying to tie this to his future crimes, The movie also shows him living in Thailand as an outsider, getting bullied, and eventually what led him to murder all those children. And one last thing about this case that is mega interesting. If you ever visit the Forensic Medicine Museum of Siri Raj Hospital in Bangkok, go and say hi to Si Ui. Yes, his mummified corpse has been on display since his death. He freaking stands upright in an encased glass for the world to see and judge. You can still see the bullet holes in his body, though they've been somewhat covered up. I'll be posting photos, and if you're super impatient, go ahead and Google him, I guess. So there you have it. The life, the murders, the death, and the after-death situation of the real boogeyman from Thailand. What this man did was despicable and unimaginable, especially for the family and for people who came upon these poor kids. It is said that parents would literally tell children, don't stay out after dark or the ghosts of sea, we will get you. I mean, it's one thing to talk about hypothetical boogeymen, but it's probably 10 times more terrifying when the person actually existed. So now you have an extra tale to scare your kids with or your nieces or nephews. The choice is yours. And also, I would like to apologize for my mispronunciation of so many Thai names and places. Thai pronunciation is so difficult. I tried. I did. Anyway, thank you for forgiving me and for listening. Till next time. Before I leave, I would like to thank Kyla and Adam for upgrading their Patreon pledges. It really means the world to me, and honestly, thank you guys so much for believing in me. I am very grateful. And one more plug before I go. If you guys are enjoying my podcast, then I highly suggest you guys check out a new Asian true crime podcast called Memories of Murder. The host is actually from Thailand, so he taught me how to pronounce the word See, we that you heard me repeat like a million times over in this episode. Go check out his podcast and I'm sure you guys will enjoy that immensely. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness podcast. Please help me by rating, reviewing this podcast. If you're on social media, please look for me under the handle Asian Madness Pod. If you have any comments or suggestions, do not hesitate to write me at AsianMadnessPod at gmail.com. I truly appreciate each and every one of you for being here. I am your host, Jessica. Till next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.